Good morning. I want to welcome you to online worship with Center Presbyterian Church. We are so thankful to have you with us this morning. I especially want to welcome visitors who may be finding this online somehow. We're glad that you're able to join us and we hope uh, to hear from you. Let us know that you're watching along with us. Join me in the call to worship. This comes from Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. O God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you. Our soul thirsts for you. Our flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. We have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, our lips will praise you. We will bless you as long as we live, and in your name we will lift up our hands. Our souls will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and our mouths will praise you with joyful lips. This morning as we gather around the Word of God, we're looking at John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. We're going to pick up where Logan left off at verse 11. So I invite you to hear the Word of God. Draw your attention to the Holy One who loves you. John writes, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that the world, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Now, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. <clears throat> so if any has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. 
And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of God. Pray with me, won't you? Father, as we think about this issue of loving our brothers and sisters, as we think about what it means to know Christ and to walk in his life as John has been teaching us, we hear these words and we begin to ponder that they are true and yet in our own hearts we know a dissonance where we acknowledge we should be loving but maybe we're not as loving as you would expect us to be. And so let your word free us, not condemn us this morning. May we find in our own hearts that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ and understand the purity of that, that word. We ask and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. The passage this morning is very closely tied to what what Logan preached last week, and he, he did a wonderful job of teaching from the scriptures on how John is showing us that to be a child of God involves three important principles that, first of all, John lays out in the beginning of chapter 3, that there really are two kinds of people, those who have been transformed by the gospel and those who have not. It, it seems simplistic, but that's the picture that we have of what it is to be someone who is a believer. We've crossed over from death to life. And, and the second point that he came and developed for us from this scripture was that God is the only one who can change whether we are that kind of person who has believed in the gospel. And his third point, even more pronounced and important to today's teaching, is that when a person is transformed, when a person is changed, Everything that they see and understand, their reality around them changes. They see things differently. They become a different kind of person. And so in, in dealing with those truths that John has revealed for us in chapter 3 about what it means to walk in the light of Christ as he developed that theme in chapter 1, we now come to that place where what does this mean to love someone? And so when you begin to think about loving, you, you begin to think about what it is that makes the Christian different. What is the mark of the Christian? What identifies him as Christian or her as a Christian? I was walking around the perimeter of my yard and, and in our neighborhood there are sections that are designated to be property that are owned by the neighbor and property that are owned by Cindy and I. And on the corner is a place where they surveyor has put a stake or a piece of metal and it's in the ground and it's fixed there and it becomes a mark it becomes the mark of the boundary of that corner and so as it is located with the other boundary markers the other corners of the property we we get a a, a clear understanding of what our boundaries are as far as the property that we own in that neighborhood and so when you would say, well, where do you live? I, we live at 318 Lakeshore Drive. We are talking about a specific location that can be identified. It's been marked. It's been set aside. It has been something that is identifiable to the world. And so in the same way, John is writing and saying that as a believer in Christ, you, 
You, as a believer, have been marked. You have been someone who God has, in this world, drawn in such a way as a person who identifies who Jesus Christ is by the way in which you live out that faith in him, which is characterized by love. And so as you and I begin to think about this whole business of love, it's, it's interesting that in the Greek there are four different words used for four different kinds of love. I won't go through those, but there is eroticism, that's erotic love or sensual love, there's brotherly love, and then there's a love for things. But in teaching this, if you want to know more about these other kinds of love, uh, C.S. Lewis has written a book called The Four Loves, and he does a beautiful job of laying that out. Time will not permit me to go through that because it's not pertinent to the text. What is pertinent is that one kind of love that John mentions here over and over again. It is an unselfish, unexpected love that is given to people not based upon what they do for us or who they are or where they've grown up or the color of their skin or what country they're raised. It has to do with a love that is unconditional that we have come to know because we have come into the light of Jesus Christ and now know him. And so when you think about this love, this agape as the Greek calls it, agape love, you and I begin to think about a love that is different, transformationally different from the world. And so someone who was born into Christ is born into this love and is expected to live by this kind of love. Well, what do I mean? Well, please notice that in the text this morning, John really lays out for us some things that mark the Christian. And the first is that he says Christians are not to be like Cain. We'll develop that in just a minute. But the second is that Christians are to love one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are part of Christ's body, the church, they are expected by God to love each other. Well, what does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that as well. The third criteria that love is in this passage is that Christians come to identify what love is as opposed to the world that never knows it, doesn't understand it, doesn't experience it. And in the Christian and in the Christian life, this kind of walk with God in the light produces in us such a transformation that our orientation in living life is based on living out that mark of love, which marks us as Christians. It's amazing when you begin to think about how Paul is developing, I'm John is developing this, because as he does so, as he teaches us, you're going to find two things. One, you're going to find that you're going to be very attracted to this idea that God is love and that he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works that we do out of love for God. You're going to be very attracted to that. But you're also going to experience the fact that you, as you draw closer to Christ through his teaching, you're going to be able to identify places where maybe you don't love in the way that Christ loves. Let's take the first one. He says, first, Christians are not to be like Cain. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, Cain was someone who, according to John, belonged to the evil one. The evil one refers to the devil. 
The Bible teaches that those people, as we saw last week, there are two kinds of people. Those people who don't receive the gospel and believe in Christ are under the dominion of the devil. They are separated from God from their sins. They, they cannot please God because they don't operate in a world of faith. They operate in a world of self. They build their own kingdom, not the kingdom of God. They're not interested in the things of God. They don't love God. They don't seek God. And so when you think about the evil one, we pray, uh, we pray to the Father as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The better translation of that is but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the influence of the one who would lead us astray, who would lead us from God, not toward God, who would want us to hate the things of God, not love the things of God. And so Cain is identified as someone who truly, because of the story that's in Genesis, he belonged to the evil one. You remember going back to Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel, what happened? Well, he, uh, he and his brother decided they were going to worship God and they brought two kinds of offering. Uh, Abel brought the best, the finest of his flock and gave it as an offering on an altar and he sacrificed it and burned it to the Lord as he worshiped the Lord. And, and, and Cain, well, Cain brought the, the produce of the harvest. And between the two, God favored, according to the scriptures, Abel's sacrifice. Was it that God wanted meat instead of bread that day? No, that, has, that had nothing to do with it. It had to do with faith and why they came in worshiping God. In fact, in that, in that passage, we learn the beginning of the understanding that the only way sin can be dealt with is through the shedding of blood. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And here these two men were coming to God asking, that God would forgive them and receive them and accept them. And God was displaying to them that the sacrifice that he wants to represent what it takes for us to be made right with him is a blood sacrifice. And we know that it was the precursor of the lamb who gave his life for us, even Jesus. But when Cain saw that, instead of yielding his heart to God and loving God and understanding what God's expectations were, his disappointment turned to anger and he became a murderer. He murdered his brother over a sacrifice. You see, Cain belonged to the evil one because his heart was filled with the intentions of not loving God and coming to God on God's terms. He wanted God to acquiesce to his own terms. That's the way the world works. Look around and you can see how people worship a God. They make an idol or they use some rituals or forms or incantations to try to sway God in his dealings with men. 
in hopes that somehow we can appease God or they can appease God in such a way to get what they want. as not worship out of love. It's worship out of manipulation. Trying to manipulate God. And so when Cain saw that his sacrifice, his attempts to be right with God in his own way, were not going to resolve his problem, his anger led him to murder the one who found righteousness through faith. John goes on to say there's no murderer that has eternal life. Why does he use that illustration? Well, you were Cain before you came to Christ. You, if you ever did, think of God, approach God. You did so for selfish reasons. You did so to manipulate God, to try to tell God how to run the world. Instead of yielding and submitting and acknowledging him as the Lord, the God of all creation. The second thing that he warns us about is that not only are we to not be like Cain, we are to be people, Christians, who practice loving one another. The way the Greek is written in its syntax is that love is not something that is perfected in our practice it's something that's perfected in our faith. In other words, we have no ability to love. We, we do not love as God loves, and so we need help in this. This is where the Holy Spirit becomes such a, a, powerful, uh, a powerful person who walks with us in teaching us how to love. He, he comes to correct and reprove and encourage and teach us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life, is that we don't, by the old nature, want to love our brothers and sisters, but the Holy Spirit comes and leads us into such conviction of that, that relationship with Christ being so important to us now, uh, teaches us how to repent and believe in Christ. And one of the ways we repent and believe is acknowledging those places we may not want to love people, but then choosing to love them in the name of Christ. And so one of the things that we understand as John writes this passage is that not only are we not to be like Cain in approaching God, we're also to be like uh, those who continue to practice in the sense of wanting to perfect, wanting to grow, wanting to improve, wanting to work out in our own hearts the, the sin that would impede us that he's talked about of, of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life the mentioned in chapter 2. The, that we would be aware of those things in such measure that we would avail ourselves of the power of Christ to overcome them, not look to ourselves. And so as a person follows the Lord Jesus Christ, as a person begins to lean upon the power of the gospel, being led by the Holy Spirit, John says, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Why would the world hate us? Because we're so different in how we respond to others. We, as Christians, understand that we are even to love our enemies as Jesus taught us. What a powerful, powerful way of changing people's lives. Who could love an enemy? Who could have in their heart any pity 
or, or desire to see the improvement of another who has hurt them or destroyed their life. And yet this is exactly the love that is in Jesus Christ. This is the love that God has shown us. And so John says to us that we are to practice love because anyone who doesn't try to practice love, anyone who doesn't put into practice the love of Christ, the love of God is dead in them. They become like Cain, they are murderers. And their murdering of other people shows that they really aren't walking in the light of Christ. The third and final way in which John makes this practicality of love is that we're to not be like Cain. We're to be people who practice love. We, we practice it in the sense that we are asking God to perfect his love in us. Thirdly, he says that Christians, those who follow Christ, do this because they know what love is. There was a famous song I was listening to growing up. In fact, it's still listened to today. I want to know what love is. John Lennon and the Beatles, all they really sang about was love. Love, love, love. All you need is love. And so within the human heart, within your heart, Within my heart beats an acknowledgement that we want desperately to be loved. Not only that, we want to love others. And so often we find in our endeavors to do so in our own strength, we have no ability to love perfectly. And so we know what love is, not based upon what someone does for us in church or in the neighborhood. We come to know this love that what love really is is in Jesus Christ you see it's Jesus Christ who has laid down his life for you he has become the example for us of what real genuine love of God involves its practicality the way in which it transforms our lives makes us think differently of other people it causes us to look at others who are different from us and say wait a minute those are brothers and sisters in Christ and therefore if they have a need I want to meet it if they are hurting I want to comfort if I am if I am able to encourage them to love God then I want to be a part of that where does that come from it comes from the indwelling Christ who is in us the most amazing thing is that John goes on to say that a person who claims to be a Christian and sees his brother or sister, meaning another Christian, in need and does nothing for them, the love of God is not in them. But the one who does have this love, the one who understands the love of the cross, they have come to that transforming knowledge where not only they, they see the need of their love of the, of the brother or sister in Christ, but they emotionally empathy care for, reach out, desire to improve, help the person who is in need. Even going so far as to giving them their possessions. Think of that. This love that we have come to know has been exemplified for us in Jesus Christ by Him 
leaving the Godhead in heaven, taking on the form of a man, becoming flesh, being like us in every way but without sin. And he did that because he came to pay the penalty of your sins on the cross because he loved you before you ever asked, before you ever were aware of your sins. That's why John writes in chapter 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the life you have in Christ this morning. And he has deposited that seed of his love into your heart that now John is encouraging you to allow to grow through the practice not the feeling, the practice of loving others. This is why he tells us that we are not just to love in words, we're also to love in deeds, and we're to do it with truthfulness. Yeah, that's kind of an icky kind of sentence because we think, well, there are times we don't love people, we don't feel love for them, we, we don't want maybe to express to them any kind, of, uh, any kind of desires to know them. In fact, in the church, there are many times there are, there are conflicts and there are times when we don't agree with one another. And the question is then, how do Christians deal with that? Well, the most interesting thing from the Scripture's teaching is that the love of God is in you. You can't live in a relationship with God and have enmity with your brother. John says you're a liar if you say you love God and hate your brother. And so this, this whole teaching that he's given us of the practicality of this love. Remember, love is not an emotion. It's an action. It's a word that he uses here that's different from the other three loves that are mentioned in the Bible. It's a love that gives self-sacrificially for the betterment of others, for the glory of God. It seeks to constantly elevate others and glorify God, worship God, honor God in all that we do. This kind of love would be impossible for me and for you if it wasn't for Christ. And so in knowing God's love, John writes, we also come to know how far short in our own hearts, we are able to love others. This is what he's really talking about. If you, if you go back and look at the verse and you see in chapter 3, and he says about our, our hearts in verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, what does he mean? He says, if your conscience isn't clear, if you have some enmity with a brother or sister, you know that. And without God's help, you are helpless to change that. But because you know Jesus Christ and you know the love of God that is in him and you know what love is, that you don't want to be like Cain, you want to learn how to practice this love. So what do you do? You go before God and confess, God, I am not loving my brother and sister the way that you command. 
Help me, O God. Remember, John writing, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then give us the ability to love. Not the feeling, the ability. Here's where the most amazing thing is. What John is suggesting or what John is teaching, what God, John is demanding that you hear is that your love for others is not based upon how you feel in the moment. It is based upon your obedience to Christ when he says, love others, love your brother and sister. I was noticing uh, this past year as people have been building things that uh, there are cement trucks that are running around the neighborhood and they're always carrying this liquid called cement to certain places and they just dump it on the ground. You know, if you, if you did that, if you just took a, a truckload of cement and dumped it on the ground, the cement will just spread wherever it is the lowest place to be spread. But they never do that. They always pour it into forms. And so that's how we have sidewalks and curbs, is that a form is created by which then cement is poured into that form and it takes its shape. Well, that's exactly the illustration that John is giving us about this whole business of the practice of love. We are not to love our brothers and sisters based upon how we feel. We're to acknowledge what boundaries God has given us, the power that he's given us through Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give the form of love and then the feelings will follow. In other words, the form, the practice, the endeavor to remember to treat others the way Christ has treated us, that's the form. It's not based on feeling, it's based on obedience and love of God. And in that way, when we obey and love Christ in the way we love our brother and sister, then, believe it or not, we actually carry out the commandment. In fact, if you go to the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with how we're to love God. The last six deal with how we're to love our neighbor. That's why, that's why John sees a lack of love for a brother or sister as similar to murder. In fact, it is murder, he says. But what do I do with this? How do I go forward? What, where is John leading me? Well, first he's telling you, you don't have the ability to love your brother and sister without Christ. So do you know Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place where you have confessed your sins to God and acknowledged that you are unable to save yourself, change your heart? That you are simply lost, incapable of honoring and loving God doing what he commands, keeping his word. If that is your prayer, then, then truly you have crossed over from death to life. But it doesn't mean that you love people the way God wants you to. It means you have within you now the potential to do so as you walk with Christ. Or maybe there's a person in your life that you have had enmity with, and it's a brother or sister in Christ. And you walk into a room and see them and you go, oh, well, and then you go around the other way. Well, let me tell you, that's not the love of God. 
Jesus said, when your brother sins against you, leave the worship that you give to God and go and settle things with your brother. This is how we practice love. Apparently, John's community was in tremendous conflict and they had forgotten that to love Christ means also you have to love those who belong to Christ. And because we fall short, he says, God is greater. What does he mean by that? That God is the one who gives us what we need to accomplish what he commands. He knows everything. And as we yield to him, as we come and confess to him where we are falling short, we can draw confidence as we approach God. Why? Because we are doing exactly what the gospel teaches. We are confessing our need of Jesus Christ because of our sins. This is why he says that we can come confidently before God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, obeying him, obeying the Lord, because we have come to believe in that name of Jesus. We know that he has come to love us so that we would fill out his commandments in loving one another. And finally, and here's the most glorious thing, you don't have the power to do this on your own. And he has given you the Holy Spirit. Corey Ten Boone, who was a, a victim of the Nazis during the uh, period of World War II, was captured and imprisoned in a, a concentration camp. After the war, she made it her, her goal in life to serve Christ by going and teaching the gospel throughout Germany, leading people who were once alienated from God back to him. And so at a meeting one night, she was, she was teaching about the love of God and how God forgives and how God loves and God can give us a new heart and a new life. And she noticed in the meeting that in that crowd was one of the guards who was responsible for the death of her sister, her sister. And as she, she recognized this man, she remembered the atrocities and the, and the overwhelming abuse and punishments they had gone through under his hand. And after the meeting was over, she was standing at the door, shaking hands and talking with people, recognizing that he was in line to, ready to speak to her. And she thought to herself, I cannot speak to this man. I have no ability. All I have is hate in my heart. And as he drew closer, she began to pray. asking God for his intervention. She writes, she says, and when he came before me and shook, took out and put out his hand, she said it was as if God had come and taken control of my body and my hand grasped his and his question to me was, Fraulein, is it really true? Can God even forgive me? her response to the man who killed her sister? Yes, God can even forgive you. This is the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. If you are walking in the light this morning, 
If you have come to know him who loves you, it is the same love at work in you to perfect, to mature, to grow in your heart so that your joy may be full. Do you love God? Can that love be marked? Can it be discerned? Can it be seen by the way you love your brothers and sisters? This is the mark of a Christian. Let us pray. Our Father, we want to confess to you that we are incapable of this kind of love. There's nothing in us that would generate a love that could possibly love the way you do. Oh, we might give our lives for another person who we love, who may love us, but that's not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is more, more beautiful, more nuanced, more powerful. It is a love that has an overwhelming influence of the human heart that causes us to do things not out of obedience to a law, but out of a relationship with a Christ who has loved us. And so we love you, Father, because you first loved us. We go back to the scriptures and think of the numerous places that love is talked about. And that word agape, unconditional love, is the mark of the Christian. God, help me, make me that kind of person that loves my brother and sister unconditionally, having no expectation, never seeking to manipulate or cause them to behave in the ways that I expect them to live. God, give me that love that Christ gives me through the cross and through me, not only transform my life, but my family my community, my church, my nation. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. And the people of God said together, Amen.